our study in Matthew, and we will finish Matthew 25, and we will get into Matthew 26, which is where we start to see um, Christ uh, becoming um, harshly persecuted, and then, of course, the cross will come very soon. Um, so this is the final part. I should have put the final part for your benefit, part three of three of the series, You Also Must Be Ready, which is um, basically kind of my take on what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25, basically. Uh, direct quote from Jesus, you also must be ready. That's what he said. And so we're just agreeing with him. Uh, and it is a series which speaks upon uh the illustrations, so we're looking at the illustrations, these parables of Christ and the urgency of his return. So uh, if we can get the first slide. I, we kind of left off with this, but we kind of went fast. So I kind of want to just sit and dwell on, these, on the scripture by Peter real quick um, and look at them because it relates to a lot of what we're talking about here with Christ in, in, in Matthew 25. Um, and so... Again, there's a lot of frightful things in, in, in what Peter says here, but there's also so much just hope and so much good news in what Peter's saying here. So yeah, there is this fear of the unknown. And when we talk about the end, it it's really is a scary thing because we're so close to what we have in the temporal because we were born in the temporal, we live in the temporal, and really all we know is what we've experienced. But there is more to our existence than just the temporal. God has got a plan which is called eternal. And he's given us what's called eternal life. And so there's hope. And so if we can embrace the hope and the good news of these words that Peter, and, and these words Peter gave to the church were meant to be an encouragement to the church. So let's look at them. Let's be encouraged together. And then we'll move on from here. So it says here uh, in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 18, but the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Again, we've already talked a lot about the suddenness, the unexpectedness of his coming. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Again, this is not a existential, not existential, but uh, expositional teaching of Peter. I'm using this to kind of relate to what we're looking at in depth in Matthew. So I don't want to get in too deep with what's being said here, but let's just take it, the words, as if we're just listening to them for the very first time. Okay? Heavens disappear with a roar. The elements will be, of, will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, Okay, since there is an end, the elements, the heavens, the skies, the earth will be destroyed in such a way. 
What kind of people ought we to be? That's, that's the ethical question that Peter's asking. How ought we to live our lives? Do we live our lives consumed then with these things that are going to be destroyed? No. We ought to live holy. Different, set apart, complete, holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. So we look forward. That's the disposition. That's the attitude. That's the mentality that Peter's trying to communicate to the church here. Mentality. When you wake up in the morning, think Christ is coming back. Looking forward to the day of God. This day. Yes, and we've also looked at this day being a day of judgment. But the good news for the Christians is our judgment is complete. And we'll get to that in detail when we see Jesus walk to the cross. Right? Our judgment is complete. So the day of the Lord is a frightful day for many because it's a day of judgment. But for those who have been forgiven and redeemed, there's no fear. There's no fear. So we look forward to this day of God. And, it, and the speed of its coming, please God, come quickly. <laughs> you know, we sometimes we sing songs that we say, please Lord, come quickly. You know, um, in, in, not to say we're trying to escape from this world either. We don't want to escape from this world because we, we have a, a job, a mission, a vision, a calling. What do you want to call it? We, so we, there's things that God, there's a reason why God's slow and very patient in his return. And the Bible is very clear about that. It's because there are many who still need to hear the gospel. Yeah? So we don't just sit and wait you know, in, in a coma for God to come back. We do these things that are very serious and we're reading through and we're going to read more about the things that God has called us to do as a church to reach out to our brothers and sisters of the world who have yet to come to Christ. We hope that they'll become brothers and sisters of Christ or in Christ, but they haven't. They're, they're people who are subject to judgment unless they repent. That's sad. So there's that. There's also look around you. The beautiful people God has given you in your life, encouraging others in Christ, caring for them, lifting them up when they're down. We, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's so much to do. But ultimately, according to the scriptures, his judgment is delayed so that basically the maximum amount, the people who will know Christ and will receive Christ will do that very thing. Basically so the gospel can get out. That's the nutshell. And so that's kind of what we're, our job. And if you notice, there's a new slide today. So I always put new slides up. I put up a new slide that basically communicates very clearly the, our vision, our mission. And that is to preach the gospel in shots and to encourage people to look at the word of God to learn how to live life right. And, and, and the whole anticipation is very similar to this, looking forward to the day of God. A day of judgment, but yet also a day of salvation, a day to be rescued from the sin and the corruption, the cancer of the world. Well, the world as it is right now, it doesn't function. It doesn't function. We need it to be corrected. So we do hope that the day comes quickly. But while we wait, we were busy. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in heat. It's very specific and very vivid in this description of what happens here. But again, I'm not going to break it open because we're not studying this scripture today. I'm just going to use it to bounce off of. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is good news. Again, this world we live in right now is broken. The world we're looking to live into is not broken. It's a world of righteousness. 
So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and in peace with him. Again, this is in keeping with these illustrations. Jesus is talking to a mixed group, we think. But that wouldn't include you and I. And we know he did talk to the church. In, like, for instance, in Revelation chapter 3, he talked to seven churches. And a lot of the rebukes that he gave to those churches was in keeping with this. Come on, step up. Be found spotless, be found blameless, be found at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Well, there we go. Why does he wait? Bear in mind our Lord's patience means salvation. Because, hey, if he came before I was saved, guess what? I wouldn't be saved. If he came before you were saved, guess what? You wouldn't be saved. So maybe he's waiting for your brother, your sister. Maybe he's waiting for your mom or dad. You go, ah, there we go. Now the church is complete. Let's go, guys. Don't know. But that's what the scripture says. It says he's, that's why he's waiting. That's why we're still hanging about. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard. And that's kind of the, the, the theme of this last three sermons. Be on guard. Be prepared. Right? So that you may not be carried away by the error. Okay, and there's a lot of error. <laughs> and the error comes from the lawless one. We might refer to this person as the Antichrist or Satan himself. So the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Satan wants to trip you up. He wants to knock you off. So we can't just be passive Christians. We need to be assertive, on guard, prepared, watchful. Those are assertive terms. Terms of action. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. We ended with that two weeks ago. And I want to begin with that because this is a good mindset to have when we look at these illustrations in Matthew chapter 25, which we'll get to in the next slides, please. And so the next slide says, King Jesus. Jesus is the king. And he's going to come back and say, hello, your king is here. And the reality is this, and this is why I also read that scripture, <coughs> is again, when he returns, this day of the Lord is a, a day of judgment. And we looked at Old Testament scriptures that agree with that as well earlier on. <coughs> and here Jesus is reconfirming the fact that there is going to be a separation, a dividing. These are mine, these are not. And we're looking at the quality of those who are his. And, we looked at the, and we're going to continue to look at the quality of those who are not his. And this is a very serious topic. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and of course we already looked at this, so I'm going to go, look, I'm going to go by a little bit faster. When he comes in his glory. Again, the word glory is funny, doxa, it's opinion, judgment, view. So we, a lot of people have various views and opinions about Jesus. Some good, some very, very bad. There's a lot of opinions about Jesus out there in the world. But the reality is the right opinion, the right judgment is a high one. In the New Testament, it's always a good opinion concerning one. It's the word we might call, we might interchange glory or praise. It's like yes or honor, as we see here, splendor or brightness. So while there's a lot of false opinions about Jesus, the right opinion about Jesus is that of praise, honor, and glory. And when he comes, he will come in a glorious way in a glorious fashion, seen with a glorious appearance, sitting on his glorious throne. Why is he sitting on his glorious throne? Because Jesus is the king, and that's where kings go, right? 
He will come with his angels. We sang earlier about this army rising up. I don't know what that song's talking about, but maybe it's these angels here. Maybe it's the church. I don't know. But man, he's coming, and he's coming with angels to sit on his glorious throne. When he came first time, he came from a, in a strange way by the birth of a virgin in a stable with mucky animals as a little baby. But when he comes second time, it's, it's going to be very different with angels. It's a very angelic, powerful, divine, authoritative presence that Jesus is coming in. All the nations, that includes Scotland, yeah? All the nations. Tribes, nations, groups of people, right? America, Scotland, China, Japan, I don't care. Any nation, all nations will be gathered before their king. They may have rejected him as their king, but guess what? Your opinion of the king doesn't mean he's not the king. It just means you have a bad attitude about your king. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the reality is the world has a bad attitude about the king. And they want to worship other kings that are pseudo-false kings. But Jesus is the right king. And he's going to gather people. Hey, guys, your king's here. Are you submitting to me? Are you rebelling against me? Yeah? So all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from the other. As a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Let's move on to the next slide, because we did talk about that a lot last time. We're going to continue on. This is the same illustration. So this is the same theme of sheeps and goats. And this is what he says to these groups, the sheeps on the one side, the right side, and the goats on the other side. Then the, the king will say to those on the right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Okay, just meditate on that. Okay, this, this, this morning isn't about choosing a side because the reality is there is no choice. Don't fool yourself. Don't be stupid. It's not about choosing a side. Oh, should I be a sheep or should I be a goat? No, it's a no-brainer. You want to be a sheep. Okay, listen, if you, if you want to feel comfortable in a place that was meant for you, God has made that prepared for you. Okay? Take your inheritance. It's due, it's, 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 it's what God intended when he created Adam and Eve. This, 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 this paradise, this peace, this koinonia, this relationship between God and man and a right relationship with man and man. This is our inheritance. This is what's due us. But you have to repent before God and repent before Christ and take that free gift. Many reject that. And because of that, they're going to be separated from this wonderful inheritance. The kingdom, okay? A place, authority. Who's the king? Jesus. What's his system? It's righteousness, okay? The economy, the government, the politics, everything is righteousness. It's the best system. It's the right system. And it's prepared. We're prepared to make the necessary preparations to get everything ready. Remember when Jesus left his disciples, he says, I'm going away and I'm preparing a place for you. In my father's kingdom, there's many dwelling places or houses or rooms, yeah? Guess what, guys? There's a place for us there if we're repentant believers. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you know? It's prepared for you from since the creation of the world. The word creation 
a conception or foundation. It's like throwing or laying down. So since the day that God actually threw open the curtains of the universe, and then all the stars and the planets and the galaxies, since that very moment, that very instance, God had a plan for a place for the church to dwell in peace, in righteousness, in a perfect kingdom with God. Four, okay, here we go. Now here's the criteria. And this is where it gets heavy duty, guys. So be sharp here. This gets really heavy duty. For I was hungry. Again, this is the criteria. This is what he says. This is the reason why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I particularly like that last one, the prison one, because I don't like going to the prison. There's a prison real close to us. It's definitely not my calling. But the thing is, if God told me to do it, I would have to do it. But the thing is, there's a bunch of bad people. I don't want to go talk to bad people. But according to this, to do that is to minister to Christ himself. I was in prison and you came to visit me. How is that possible? And so we look at this, we ask ourselves, is this really Christ? Is Christ really in need of food? Is Christ really in need of clothes? Is Christ really in jail? What would Christ be in prison for? Is Christ really sick? How could Christ be sick? Can he just heal himself? Isn't he the master of the healing? Yeah? So Christ is sick, he heals himself. How is he talking about himself in the first person here? But he's very clear that I was thirsty, I was hungry, I was sick, I was a stranger, and I was in prison. But the criteria is our response to Christ. Do we feed him? Do we give him a drink? Do we invite him in? Did we clothe him? Do we look after him? Did we visit him? Next slide, please. Here's a quick refresher of what we've looked at so far, as far as our obligation, those who, who um, these, these, these illustrations, these parables that we're looking at. Remember the first illustration, illustration number one, it was, the advice was to be faithful and wise in our service to God. We're called to be servants, we need to be faithful and wise, not rebellious and abusive. One who believes the master won't come. You know, that kind of apathetic, he's not coming anytime soon, so I'm just going to be what I want to be and just forget about it. I'm just going to be rebellious. I know God wants you to do this, but I'm just not going to do it. There's a warning against that. We saw it in the first illustration. The second illustration, the illustration of the ten virgins, the idea with that is very much so summed up in one simple statement. Be prepared for Christ's imminent return. He can come at any time. The ten virgins, or out of the ten, there's five that were prepared. And there were the other five that didn't come prepared. And they missed the opportunity. Illustration three, be busy about the work the master has given you. Don't be lazy. Don't be apathetic. Do not bury your talents. Again, there was a lot of, the, with the, the connection with the wardings of these three illustrations was deep regret. Remember the idea of being cast out with this weeping, sadness, gnashing of teeth, regret. So the idea here is if God has given you opportunity, Okay, faithful, wise servant, being prepared, given talents, using those talents. 
Whatever these, these three illustrations, whatever your talents, whatever it is that God's called us to do as a church, both collectively and individually, we need to do it. It's a part of our obedience. When we say God is Jesus is Lord, what are we saying? We're saying he's the chief, he's the boss. If you say he's a Lord and you say, nah, God, nah, Christ, then you don't really believe he's a Lord. That's a lie. It's hypocrisy. That's the problem with the Pharisees. They didn't identify the Lordship of Christ. But if we had identified the Lordship of Christ, and we say, yes, Lord, and the Lord goes, oh, awesome, I've got an opportunity for you. Nah. <laughs> you don't really believe he's Lord then in your heart. Because even though it may be hard to get up and do things, we need to trust and realize that he'll give us all the power, all the strength, all the mercy, and all the grace to do what he's called us to do. And guess what? Doing what the Lord has asked you to do is deeply, deeply fulfilling and satisfying. Just to let you know, following the Lord, it's hard. There's spiritual warfare, there's attacks on you, your family, your friendships, all your relationships. It's very difficult to follow the Lord and his calling your life. It's not easy at all. But let me tell you, it's also deeply satisfying. It's not torture. Might feel like at times, but it's, it's, in all reality, it's the most satisfying thing. When you start to serve the Lord in a deeper, fuller sense, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. You're like, I can't imagine doing anything else in my life than to serve God. So now we're in this next illustration, illustration four, this one here. Don't miss the opportunity to serve your master, even if the opportunity appears to be gross, unattractive, an inconvenience, something that is in your own self-righteous way seems below your standard of service or undeserved by the benefactor. Think about that. It's a mouthful. Okay? And the reason why I'm saying this is because we're going to look very much in detail about our service to God. And sometimes he may ask us to do something that might, to our flesh, appear gross, unattractive, or inconvenient. Something that might look, in our own self-righteous ways, as below our standards of service. Oh, that's for someone else to do. I'm too good for this. Rubbish. Or undeserved by the benefactor. Well, they, they don't deserve it because they put themselves in that place. But, remember, if this is Jesus that we're looking at, Jesus is the king and he is and never will be below your standards. And he will never be undeserved. So we have to ask ourselves really honestly and seriously, who is it that we're looking at? And so here's the response that the righteous, the sheep, the right-handed people, whatever, gave to, to Jesus in Matthew 25, 37. Then the righteous, and bear in mind, they are righteous. They will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king, I like that, I like that, the king, the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least, yes, those undeserved ones, the least, the undeserved ones, the one that probably doesn't deserve it. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, some translations will just say brothers, more newer translations will be more inclusive and say brothers and sisters. You did it for me. Again, the, the word for brother, 
adelephios, a brother, whether born the same two parents or only of the same father or mother, having the same national ancestry, belonging to the same people or countrymen, any other fellow person, <laughs> right? Full stop. A fellow believer, an associate of employment, brethren in Christ. So you and I need to be wise with this handling of these scriptures. When Jesus asks us to take care of these brothers, who exactly is he talking about? Well, there's six options. It's just a definition. But think about it. Is he just talking about your Christian friends? Or is he talking about something a little bit more? I don't know. But one thing I don't want to do is be wrong about this. Because I want to be on the right side. And I know you do too. Next slide, please. Here's another way of looking at it. This is interesting. This might inform our decision in trying to define what a brother and sister is. Jesus define what a neighbor is. And I think this is very similar. I think it's kind of a parallel text. In Luke 10, 29, 37, it says this. A fellow asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? And you guys know the story. It's, it's the Good Samaritan story. And this is what Jesus said in reply. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Just a man. We're assuming he's a Jewish fella. Okay, because he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we're assuming that uh, when you look at the other people involved, just, he's, one, he's, one of the, he's, he's a fellow Jewish person, a, a, a fellow Israelite. Okay, so someone we should be, have a, a closeness to. He's a fellow, he's a mate. He's one of us. Okay, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. What's a priest do? A priest is supposed to care for people. They're supposed to be there to bring people to God. He walked by, but because of his religious convictions, he didn't want to miss an opportunity to serve God by getting his hands stained by blood. Because you know the rituals. If you touched a dead, hurt body, blood, there's the, the, the whole cleanliness side of being a priest. But you know what? What did God want this priest to do? I'll tell you exactly I'll tell you exactly. He, the priest should have helped that man. And you know what? If he couldn't serve the temple, big deal. Big deal. You can't serve the temple. Let someone else do your job for you for a moment. You help that person because that is what real ministry is all about. But what did he do? Because of his ritual tendencies, walked by. And a Levite, the same thing. He came to the place. He saw. He passed by. But not just passed by, but notice he passed by on the other side. He gave a wide berth. No dignity, no respect, no honor, no love. But the half-breed, the Samaritan, the one who isn't really righteous, they're the kind of gross mix. They're not really one of us, yeah, type of person. He came. He was traveling as he would, because Samaritan wouldn't be very welcomed in this area. <laughs> he was traveling. He traveled, and he came, and he saw this man, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil, or pouring on oil and wine. So he gave from his resources, right? He gave. Here, have some oil. Have some wine. Have some bandages. Have my time. Have my heart. Have my ear. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Here, get in my car. Oh, but don't stay in my leather saddle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, get on my donkey. I'm going to take you. 
brought him to an inn and took, and, and then didn't just bring him to the inn and say, here, just call a doctor. He stayed and took care of him. The next day, yeah, even overnight. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. He even paid for the hotel. And he even said, if he needs more, I will come back again and pay. Okay, listen, you don't have to do these things. But what I want to get in our mind is this is the heart of Christ. This is the heart of, of a, Jesus is painting a picture of a man in his heart and how he looks after this fella. Now, in this illustration, is this fella for these three guys Christ? Okay, in conjunction with the parable we're looking at tonight. Is for, for the priest, when he walked by, did he say, well, there's Christ's? Didn't know it, obviously, but walked by. And then the Levites, well, did he walk by Christ? And the Samaritan, when he walked by, and he helped him, did he help Christ? In the sense that Jesus is talking about, where I was hungry, you cared for me. I was thirsty, you cared for me. I was, okay, you know what I'm saying? Is this Christ? This person's not named. The question is, who's my neighbor? Who's your brother? Who's your sister? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Next slide, please. So with that nugget of information, we need to ask ourselves, so what happens to the priests who walk by? What happens to the Levites who walk by? Matthew 25, 41 to 46 says this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. It's a cursing to not love and care for people. Do you guys realize that? To, I mean, to look out for your fellow mankind, to, to not care, is a, it, it's, it's corruption. To not care for others. To not care for fellow mankind. You are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and angels. Ouch. This is making me really uncomfortable to talk about, guys, because before we saw this, this, this deep regret. But now we see something a bit different. Now we see a place of eternal punishment. Something that was originally designed not for human occupation, but for the occupation of the rebellious Satan and his rebellious demons. Here he's saying to these people, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Is Jesus, does he have it wrong here? Is, is Jesus so not 21st century? What's up with him? You're right, he's not 21st century. He's all centuries. He's eternal. And what he's saying here is very serious. We're warning. <coughs> Sorry. Four, here's the criteria. Here's the criteria of cursedness. Here's the criteria. It's rebellion. It's disobedience. It's a st stubborn, cold, stony heart. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, huh? It doesn't say it in there, but trust me, they did that. Huh? They answered that. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, needing clothes or sick? You can't blame this on us, God. Bogus. You can't blame us for doing this. We never did it. You have no proof. Well, he replied to them, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did not do for one of the least of these. Yes, those lowlifes, those undeserving types. You did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's go to the last slide. I don't want to say more about that because, hey, guys, we get it. We get it, don't we? We know what's up. doesn't need to be explained any further than that. So speaking of eternal life, oh, yes, eternal life. That's what God has promised us. In the punishment of our own moral failings, we need the cross. And that's what we're coming up to. He finished on a powerful note. Here is a distinction. Here is a separation, okay? But in order to be righteous, you need the cross. And so he finished what he was saying. Then he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. See, we are not on the right side because of our own doing. Let's just make that perfectly clear. Okay? It's because of a changed heart that we're righteous. It's because of a changed heart that we're able to hear Christ's words and move with compassion. Because without a changed heart, we are stony, cold, rebellious. But Christ came, died on the cross, gave us a new life, eternal life, the spirit, a spiritual life. And because we have this life, we're able to see Christ in these opportunities. And it gives us great joy and pleasure to serve our master. But without the cross, there is no change. There is no Holy Spirit. And therefore, we're all equally guilty like the goats in the story. So Jesus took care of our moral failings. So if you today feel like, man, oh man, have I failed God in this respect? Have I failed Christ's respect? Maybe you have. Maybe you do all the time. Maybe I do all the time. But what we can rest assured is there's only one sin that is unforgivable. And that is total, utter denying of Jesus Christ, what's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All other sins, even failing to care for Jesus, can be forgiven if there's repentance. The cross, that's good news. How have we failed morally? Okay, that's, that's good. You know it now. That's good news. You know it now. So that was just repent. That's what the cross, that's what Jesus' message was all about. Repent, repent, repent. Now here's forgiveness of sins right there on the cross. Turn to the cross Receive forgiveness, receive a, a change, a life, receive a newness, eternal life. And even as you walk as Christians, we're going to continue making moral mistakes, a lot of times out of ignorance, because we just don't know better, because we're, we're still people, and we have to figure things out as we go. But you know what? Don't beat yourself up. Turn to Christ. It's, it's as simple as that. Have I taken care of my brothers and sisters enough? Have I done enough? I don't know. Don't beat yourself up over it. Just submit to the cross. Say, Christ, show me how I failed and how I can do better. See, it's all about mercy. And it's all about grace. Jesus did the work. He gave us eternal life. He has took on the punishment for our own moral failings. Past, present, and future. He took care of that on the cross. And we're going to talk about that more in the following weeks.
Sing for 